Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Dr. Aloya Earl joins us today. Uh, Aloya is a resident physician and clinical researcher at Ohio State University, and she's also going to soon be a sports medicine subspecialty at the University of Alabama. So her background, um, her, her bachelor's in exercise science, that's kind of how we got linked up um, since I do a lot of ba- um, exercise science searching on on Twitter and you know uh, Instagram and that kind of stuff. So I ran across hers. We had a lot of friends in common, so I thought I'd reach out. A lot of interesting um, research that I want to share on her end. She's doing a lot of cool things about how to get people back into exercise. But uh, before we jump into that, Dr. Earl, I appreciate you uh, jumping on. Thanks for that. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe about how you got into uh, what you're doing now, your research now. So I got into the field of sports medicine um, just from being an athlete myself and from being injured and then starting to shadow my own sports medicine physician starting in high school. Um, And I just loved the job that he had, being able to help athletes get back to doing what they love to do. Um, And I had a passion from it right from the start. And I just also had, I guess, a natural affinity for musculoskeletal system and performance and sports and things like that. So... I started on that path and studied exercise science in college and then went to med school and just kind of focused in on the specialty of sports medicine. Um, And then my, where my research direction kind of went towards the psychological aspects of performance and sports just came from observing athletes going through that process and seeing kind of the challenges that they had coming back to sport um, and being able to relate to that from my own experiences as an athlete too. So it was like a full circle thing. Yeah, no kidding. And I liked hearing that, and I don't hear it often, I don't think many people do, uh, young people getting it like in high, like when you were in high school, that's when all this kind of started. You know, so people don't really get into it because people aren't taught um, most of the time, at least from my experience, you know, having high school coaches and, and coaches uh, before that, that aren't really exercise oriented or fitness oriented. They're kind of thrown into the situation. Like, uh, here's a weight room. Here's a bunch of athletes. Good luck. You know, but it sounds like you had a lot of development that, that led you into that. And I think that's really important for, for people to get into at a really young age, not just go to college and then maybe fall into like athletic training or teaching like I did and then find it, you know, later on, like, holy cow, I can make a career out of something like this. (laughs) Yeah, I was very fortunate to kind of have discovered it. Like no one in my family is in the realm of health or medicine or anything. Hmm. It's like mostly business and sales and education. So I was lucky to come across a great mentor who got me to this spot. So tell us now a little bit more about your research and what you're doing um, and maybe how you got into all of that also. Because it's a little more geared towards not just – maybe how to improve athleticism, what most people would think, you know, what your research would uh, lead to, but it's how to get people back into um, physical activity and back on into their respective sport, right? Yes. 
So my big thing with that is that I want to really help athletes capitalize on the time that they have off from an injury. And it really, it comes from the worst part of the job that I do and the job that we do in sports medicine is when you have to tell an athlete, you have XYZ injury and you need to take this amount of time off from your sport. And you see every single time you say that, you see the same kind of look go over their face and it's the last thing any athlete wants to hear. Um, And so I always wanted to tell them something after that to like make it (laughs) better, like kind of blunt that piece of bad news. So if I can give them something that they can be doing during that off time, because the time's going to pass either way, Mm -hmm. um, that will then help them meet their performance goals when they do come back. And that way they feel like they're being productive and they feel like they're still being involved with their sport, which is the thing they love. And a lot of times identify themselves by Yeah. then I feel like I'm doing a better job being comprehensive as a physician, looking out for their mental health as well as their physical health in that time period. Yeah. So how did you, what was it like for you? Did you go through like high school or college as an athlete and, and get injured and that kind of, have you, have you been able to relate that way? Cause I mean, I'm sure that's easier if you have. Yes. I had a lot of stress fractures, which is, Oof. which is more from overtraining. There were chronic overuse injuries. Um, but then I would always come back too early because I was non-compliant and just wanted to <laughs> run and I was a distance runner. Um, and so I would always come back too early, but there was always in the back of my mind, like, am I going to hurt myself again? Is this injury going to recur? And that does affect you, I think, in a performance standpoint. But really, I think it affects athletes more when they have an acute injury. So like they tear their ACL or they tear their meniscus or their UCL in in baseball. Um, And then they have to come back and there's like more of a fear component when they do that same move that they did when they tore it or they're in that same type of that they were in when they had their big injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the situations that affect athletes more from a mental standpoint, psychological barrier that affects then their performance and the way that they move and play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I guess that helps you in what you do and the research that you do because you've been there, you've done that. Do you reflect on um, maybe what coaches or what doctors told you in the past and then try to either play off of that in a positive way or if it was negative in your mind do you try to manipulate it into something positive for your the athletes that you work with absolutely um i think that in general addressing the psychological barrier is not well done throughout the field of medicine not even just sports medicine but bringing awareness to that is important because in my research i found that nearly every athlete goes through this similar phenomenon. And it's not, I don't want to say it's stigmatized, but it's not necessarily brought to their attention that this might be something they could experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even just normalizing that and reassuring athletes that that these these feelings that you're having, these thoughts, these frustrations when you first come back are very, very normal. And there are things that you can be doing to help. Some of my coaches and physicians, like back when I was an athlete, would teach me about mental imagery and like picturing yourself performing without pain or performing without limping or without injury. 
Um, and I think that was helpful to me. And I like to use that now with my yeah. patients. Yeah. So let, let's, let's, let's walk through the steps before you get to those. Um, it's like normalizing it for people. It, what happens, you know, after how, how far into their injury are you introduced into their recovery? So it depends on what setting I'm working in. So sometimes okay. if I'm on a football sideline, of course, it's right away. Um, sometimes it's the next day and like a Saturday injury clinic. Sometimes it's, you know, a couple of days later. And sometimes it's like a week or two after they've gone to the emergency room and then they're following up. So it's really um, a range, but typically okay. at least within a couple of weeks. Okay. So you're introduced to this athlete, male, female, whichever. What... Um what information do you have about them that you need to to discuss with them right away in, in terms of like what their process is going to be like getting back to what that normal state looks like? In terms of their injury and what their recovery will be like? Right, yeah. So like when, when you're introduced to them, what kind of information do you have and, and how do you use that information right away? I mean, typically, so we go through what exactly was their injury, how did they get the injury, and you how, take a good yeah. history of everything, and and then what their treatment plan is as far as are they going to be going to physical therapy, um, are they having a surgery, uh, just what will be that process, and yeah. what's the timeline for them getting back to sports. And then what's the next step after that? Do you have, because I see, I see a lot of people like on the sidelines, um, let's say just like on, a, on an Airdyne bike just kind of cycling would that be like the next step or do you guys do you jump right into that uh, like the the mental preparedness part of things so typically i um and it's tough because it's different for every injury and for every person um a lot of times the first step is getting them into some sort of therapy even if they're going to be having surgery mm -hmm. to get range of motion in whatever joint they injured that's what they a lot of times are doing on the bicycle on the sideline is getting keeping range of motion keeping their heart rate going doing some sort of physical activity yeah. um, and then there's a or strengthening the support structures of whatever joint you injured, ensuring that you have good balance strength and yep. stability and flexibility. Um, the mental part, I mean, it, it can come in whenever, whenever you want it to. It can come in as early as, as they might need it to, but I think the best place for it to come in, one is when they start doing sports-specific physical therapy, so they're doing things in therapy or in the training room kind of mimic positions that they'll be in when they go back on the field Yeah. Um, and helping them say like, okay, so this was the play that you were mm. injured in. So let's talk me through this. Are you nervous? How are you feeling? Um, and then especially the second time that I think it should come into play is when they're cleared from their position mm -hmm. to go back. So hundred percent objectively strength, range of motion, go back to sports. Then you have that discussion. But by the way, psychologically you still might not feel 100% and again that is normal yeah do you find that that sometimes um I'm just kind of thinking of my own my own experiences with people and obviously I'm not dealing with uh, you know division one athletes at, at a super high level but I have people who come in who live in a life that's active and they come in after an injury could be uh, for instance somebody's right now um, is on their fourth hip replacement and, um, you know, she's suffering from lupus and she has all, you know, a lot of other things that she's dealing with, but like her mental side of things, because she's been through this process, unfortunately, is a little different, but people who maybe haven't been through the process, 
I'll get a message from them and say, hey, you know, I, I have to get shoulder surgery down the road. I think I'm going to back off training. And instead, and saying, hey, look, let's work together with your doctor, your surgeon, whoever I can get in contact with to keep you strong in the gym. Even if we can't, like, you know, do any shoulder work on one side, just keeping them in the gym and around that area, I think, is it's not only easier for them in the moment, but they know that when they get back from surgery, it's going to be an easier process just to get back in the gym. Um, yeah. You know, e even if it's not like, uh, hopefully they weren't injured in the gym. I don't want to have, see anybody injured while they're exercising. Obviously, that's not the case. But, you know, if somebody's like uh, cycling and it's going to take them a long time to get back on cycling, good, let's keep you in the gym. So when you get back to cycling, you know, you're still strong and you're still, uh, you still have a lot of power output. Um, so I can imagine like from a, a D1 perspective, especially if, if you're a scholarship athlete, the mental tax on that must be just through the roof. Yes. And I completely agree with you. I think it is so important for athletes to stay involved in the atmosphere environment with their team, with their coaches mm -hmm. as much as they can. And at the beginning, that is tough in and of itself because yeah. you want to be out there. Um, but the alternative is staying home, you know, and not being involved and then having to transition fully back into with your team and with, with the schedule of practice and everything. If you're doing that throughout your injury and doing whatever you can to help with the team, um, even if it's just like taking down stats, I think that that's beneficial in yeah. the long run. Yeah. And, and, and helping maybe even coach a little bit too on the sidelines, I'd imagine, right? Like if you, if somebody's taking your position or, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're going to be on the sideline, like getting involved with that, just so you're mentally sharp still, that, that part of it's massive. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about when you're starting to, do you deal with uh, any of like the, the programming side of things in terms of like their strength training once they get back into it, if they're mentally ready for, um, you know, getting stronger. Are you involved in that side at all? So I try to kind of give general pieces of advice, but okay. I, I definitely okay. trust like their strength and conditioning coaches and, and trainers and therapists are all phenomenal. It's all like yeah. a healthy team. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're okay at Ohio state, I guess. <laughs> yeah. They're all right. I think that, um, physicians can and should have some responsibility mm -hmm. in having input in, into those types of things into programming strength training and um but the caveat to that is that we don't get trained to do that in medical school so it it is on our shoulders to kind of educate ourselves and and learn how to safely prescribe that kind of advice um, my extra science background at South Carolina for undergrad is very, has been very helpful for that. But if I didn't have that, it, it would have been like a very steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. Um, but just having a physician kind of give some sort of guidance as to, okay, these are the th types of things I want you to work on. So for example, if someone had a rotator cuff injury or tore the labrum in their shoulder, or even just have shoulder dislocations or recurrent subluxations. All of those things benefit from working on your scapular stabilizers, mm -hmm. supporting that scapula, and working on the rotator cuff to recenter the humeral head inside the glenoid cavity. So if you kind of prescribe that to their PT or their athletic trainer, whoever they're going to be working with, it, it gives a little bit of direction and allows you to have some input in how you want your athlete to progress. 
Yeah, and it, I think it builds uh, the buy-in too from the other side. That you're not just handing somebody off and saying, "Good luck." It's like when that athlete sees you and their 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 training staff sees you. It's that's somebody I can trust, and that's I agree. A, and that's important because you're right. Like there's, you know, and I've talked about this with um, other people on the podcast how the the medical side of things and like the the I guess for lack of a better term, like the physical side, the, the trainers and those in individuals, the strength training staff, there is no connection. There's almost like, there's almost like a friction sometimes because you're almost encroaching on somebody else's territory where it's like, it almost should be, it should be open arms. Like, oh good, you're handling that, that spot of it. You're going to prep them for when I get them and we're going to build off each other and make a better athlete and a better person and they're going to come back stronger. And um, I think that's so important to take it upon yourself to to educate yourself, but also do the best you can for that other side. So when they are released, you know, you've done your best job. You're not just throwing them out the door and say, well, I'm done with you. So on to the next one. Mm -hmm. It's so intertwined. It's so integrated. And everyone has all of those different members of the care team have their area of expertise and they have mm -hmm. their perspective that they can give but I really do like that integrated model and it, it does help the athlete in knowing okay even my physician knows what my performance goals are and is helping me towards that they're not just looking at me as an ACL I'm yeah, a person right. with these goals and the the model in the United States I think is a little bit more compartmentalized versus in the UK and Australia, I think they do a better job of having physicians be more involved in, in um, like programming strength and programming yeah. um, workload and things like that. Even if it's just like um, introducing it back in, like the bare basics. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, why, why wouldn't, why wouldn't, what, what's, where's the missing link between like the US model? I don't know what the missing link is. I think part of it is the the lack of formal education that uh, we get. Yeah. It, it's really um, almost surprising that in, in sports medicine, even when you get down to subspecializing in sports medicine, you don't spend a whole lot of time with physical therapists. You certainly don't spend time with strength coaches. And so that's something that I've tried to get more exposure to moving through, going through residency at Ohio State. Yeah. And I've been very fortunate to do my residency at a place like this. Um, but it's, you have to seek it out because it's not um, really in, in our formal education. Yeah. And so be, and you can get, you can get kind of like, you can back yourself into a corner don't you think if, if it's not part and you don't, if you don't recognize that you're missing those links, not even, I shouldn't even say missing those links, but they're not part of like your strong suit. You can kind of back yourself and pigeonhole yourself and, and get stuck. And, and then, I mean, eventually you're not helping anyone. Right. Um, and you don't want to be irresponsible, like prescribing strength protocols when you, when you don't have a good grasp on a good understanding. Sure. So. Yeah, but, but I think if, if you seek that out and you educate yourself and you do a good job kind of knowing what's, what's a safe and effective program for your athlete, you can certainly give at least outline prescribed advice like that. Yeah, so so can you name like um, a resource that maybe you've you've gone to 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 even to better your your knowledge of how to get somebody back into um, the strength training side of things that you would recommend to colleagues? Um, I really like actually it's sitting right here. 
I really like this book, Game Changer. Game um, Changer, okay. By Fergus Connolly, um, Dr. Fergus Connolly. It's called the Game Changer: The Art of Sports Science. It is very comprehensive. Like it's not just strength, and it's not just um, like prescribing things in the weight room, but it's a really an overall look at all the different um, factor. It's like the multifactorial. Um, look at the athlete and all the different um, pressures that athletes have on them and different things that they kind of work through in from a performance aspect but also from like a health aspect um, and mental health so I think yeah. it's just a really, it's like a it's like a textbook kind of yeah no I'm I wrote that down so I'm gonna try to link to that if I can I can try to find it on Amazon or somewhere I'm sure <laughs> it's got to be out there somewhere yeah, it's on. I I think I got my copy on Amazon, but okay, um, perfect. It's good for coaches and um, coaches and strength and conditioning. It's good for physicians. It's good for trainers. I think it's it it's good for um, anyone in in this field. Good. What kind of uh, personal habit have you developed that helps you become better at at helping other people that you work with? habit um let me think about that one so I think as far as like research especially in productivity mm-hmm. uh, I think just having deadlines um making deadlines for myself like if I have a project to get done or I'm working in the team and we have we have like this big time frame to get something published or get something done, breaking that up into smaller deadlines, um, like closer to each other and hmm. having like very clearly defined goals, um, will break a project up because it's kind of, if you have like this, this large amount of time, it's hard to be productive because you just feel like you have all this time. Right. Um, but if you break it up piecemeal and have clear defined goals that you set for yourself and for other members of your team, that helps me at least to be more productive. Yeah. Well, then also that if you think about what you just said in terms of the actual work that you do, that's basically not in a nutshell, but that's a, a, probably a very big, large part of what you're teaching that athlete to do. Because all they're thinking about is like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm screwed. I've got six months. I'm going to be sitting here. But you're like, all right. There's six months. The first couple weeks are going to be this, and then the next couple weeks are going to be this. So you're chunking that out, right? So that that makes that that makes total sense why you do that. <laughs> that's exactly. That's what I hope to do. Is like, yeah, for like athletes, make that six month time more manageable by yeah. one, okay, step at a time, and give them a little thing to work on for each of their phases of recovery. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so so let's go. Let's dive into like the your the sports medicine side of things that you're going to be going into the University of Alabama. How do you hope that is going to integrate in what you're doing now? So I'm hoping to. I chose to go to the University of Alabama for my subspecialty training because I think they're just the best of the best at what they do as far as working in an integrated model, like we discussed. They have a phenomenal group of people down there who are so passionate about athletics and sports medicine, and they just are very well supported in that. Um, And they really do some things that are on the cutting edge of sports medicine. Like we talked about that sports-specific physical therapy, and Mm -hmm. they some like um they use video like video game simulations for athletes recovering so I just love what they do down there and it 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 
goes along so nicely with what I value in this field and and my passions and helping athletes. So I guess what I hope to get out of it or bring to it is just continuing to help, you know, spread the message of giving giving athletes something to do in their off time that's productive for them and just supporting them supporting them in their performance goals and training at a place like that I feel like you can translate what you <laughs> learn to anywhere afterwards so yeah. I'm really excited to be part of their program and I, I wish we would have brought this up earlier about the uh the, the video game like the modules because so do they it, so that's so fascinating to me because I think that's starting to become not only just for entertainment, but they're starting to use that on, you know, all sorts of rehab patients. So I guess that would make total sense to help them, uh, like an athlete. It's also emotional, but it's also mental too. I'm sure they can, I'm sure they can program ex the exact play that maybe someone was injured in and then see how they react to that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. It's just, it's like virtual reality. And it, it again, is something to smooth that transition. Cause there's nothing, nothing will ever compare to that first time you're back on the field after right. an injury. But if you can get as close to that as possible by simulating these kinds of movements and plays in a safe, protected environment, that's going to benefit the athlete. Yeah, that's so amazing. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to have to get you back on here once you start working with that. That would be so cool. That's such a – that's that's a, a, does, does do other major universities, are they starting to implement those kind of things? I don't know um, of a whole lot other ones. I'm sure that they are. I just am not aware of them yeah. or who's doing it. But I think it's going to be a very big thing in the next decade or so. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more about that. Um, well, great. Dr. Earl, I, I appreciate you, again, jumping on here. If, I, I want to give you an opportunity to give um, either – the athletes listening, the coaches listening, people in, in your field right now listening, one part of advice um, that you would give to them, go ahead and, and give that now. So my favorite piece of advice that I always go back to is connecting your mission and like your goals, whatever you're working towards, to your purpose and the reason that you started. Um, and that could be writing down a mission statement or just having it in your head, reminding yourself of how your goals connect to your overall kind of life plan and what you want for your life. And if, if you get um, bogged down or frustrated with daily kind of details and mm. in, in the grind, reminding yourself why you started and why you're doing what you're doing, that kind of connection, I think is beneficial in, in anything, but especially yeah. in athletics and coaching no i think you're absolutely right because like yeah like i think you hit right on the head and you said like when when daily life even if it's something that clearly you're passionate about it and and coaches and these athletes are passionate about what they're doing and helping people and it's just like everybody else it's number one it, it can be a job and i don't care how much you love it there's going to be a time that comes where you know you have kids you have to, to think, your own children you have to think about. You have other relationships. You have a mortgage. You've got soccer practice for your kids, yada, yada, whatever, whatever the case is. And things pile up. And then you start thinking, you get stressed about those kind of things. And then, you know, hopefully your passion, what you go to, to do to earn money for your family and to work and help people, that hopefully doesn't become, um, you know, just an afterthought. Like, oh, I just have to go and get this done. So if you do, if you make that connection and you real, you remember what you, why you started, what you started for, um, yeah, that's some really good advice. 
really good advice. Thank you. So Aloya, if, if people want to contact you, reach out to you, what are the best places to get a hold of you? So typically for work-related things and posts, I use Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is my first name underscore my last name, so Aloya underscore Earl. Um, and that's where I'll try to respond to messages and comments on my page, and that's mostly where I do work-related things. Perfect. Awesome. And I hope people do reach out to you, and um, and I'll link a bunch of your, your resources to to the show notes so people can uh, learn more about you. So again, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor.